go back to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. We're reading through this story recently, and I, I just every time I read it, I, I kind of it sort of gives me a bit of a thrill, and I think, ah, oh, it's a great little theme there. I might just uh, perhaps just to walk through that with you today. Uh, we've talked about it before, but Genesis chapter 28, it's a very powerful little theme. Uh, it's the story, of course, of um, Isaac and Jacob. And uh, uh, Jacob's struggling a little bit in his life here. He's got problems with family members and so forth. And one thing leads to another and he has to start heading off uh, back to his hometown, his father's hometown. And in Genesis chapter 28, we pick up the story in verse 10. We'll read that first, verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba, that's down in southern Israel today, and he went towards Haran, way up in the north, up in Iraq. And he lighted upon a certain place and he tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and he put them for his pillow, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he uh uh, dreamed and uh, behold, a, a ladder set up on the on the on the uh, on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And I'm sure if you've ever read a little storybook about uh, children's storybook about Jacob, uh, invariably it'll have this little story about Jacob's ladder. In fact, we use the expression quite often, uh, little uh, perhaps uh, you know walking paths or whatever will sometimes be named Jacob's ladder in honour of uh, this particular event here. He's sleeping away and he sees this, this uh, ladder going up to heaven. In verse 12, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder uh, set up on the earth, and uh, the top of it reached to heaven, and, uh, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, uh, and the land whereon thou, uh, thou liest, uh, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and I'll bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his uh, sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And uh, he was afraid and uh, said, uh, uh, How dreadful is this place? Or how awe-inspiring is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And uh, this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and he took uh, the stone uh, that he had uh, put for his pillow and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, uh, which means, of course, house of God, Bethel. But the name of the city before was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me will I surely give the tenth unto thee. 
So it's quite a, a dramatic experience which Jacob had here. As I say, he was fleeing at this particular stage and so his mind was undoubtedly elsewhere and terrified of his local circumstances and so forth. Uh, his brother was out to kill him, as it turns out, so a pretty nasty sort of situation. But as he's dreaming there, uh, you know, he, he dreams this dream, and obviously it's not just a natural dream, it's rather a miracle dream from God. And in this miracle dream from God, he's addressed by God, and that God tells him uh, what's going to happen in the future. God promises him that he's going to look after him, he's going to help him, that he's going to return safely, that his future is assured, that his descendants will be uh, people that spread around the world. They'll go out to the west and the east and the north and the south. That's, of course, another story for another day. Uh, but uh, I'll summarise for you that we believe that that refers to the descendants of, of the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Danic, Nordic peoples of the world uh, who did exactly that. And uh, God promised him that he would always be looked after. He said, I'll bless you. If God's looking after you, you don't have to worry. And all the people said. That's the whole point. I mean, this man here, Jacob, was uh, facing death. He was in peril, but he had, uh, God had promised, I'm going to look after you. So no matter what he went through, God was going to get him through the minefields of life. And he was going to get back again safely and so on. We know the story. Back in verse uh, uh, 16. Uh, and uh, Jacob awoke out of sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Now, uh, no doubt when Jacob sort of laid his head down here, and by the way, you, you go home tonight and look up a couple of uh, photos on Google of what Bethel looks like today, or Bitin, B-I-T-I-N is the other uh, name for it. It's a little village in Israel. It's about 10 miles north of Jerusalem, and the area is very, very ordinary, very, you know, plain. In fact, much of it is quite rocky, if you have a look, and you think, this doesn't look very fancy. You know, you sort of think, well, where God is, surely it would be like a mountain with snow on top. Or maybe it's an oasis surrounded by palm trees. Or maybe it's a little piece of beautiful forest, you know, with birds twittering and the animals, you know, flipping in and out and, and so on and so on and so on. And it, actually it's not. The place Bethel on the map, when you have a look at some of the photos, is rubbish. It's complete rubbish. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and Jacob's saying here, he said, I had no idea when I lay down on this particular spot that you could actually get to God just by lying and having a sleep here. And uh, it, often remi it reminds me a little bit of the, the principle here that um, sometimes you don't recognize where you can find God. Perhaps today you've walked in here for the first time or maybe you've been to one or two services here before and as you've walked in you've thought to yourself oh I think they could do with a bit of a paint job here you know or perhaps uh, actually look the other day the, the carpet out the front could do some tidying up I've no idea how to do that we've had it clean and clean and clean and the rotten thing doesn't seem to come up uh, perhaps you've looked around and thought oh the chairs aren't even padded you know the last church I went to they had lovely blue velour padded chairs Actually, if you want a padded chair, they're in the first three rows. Um, perhaps you had thoughts like that. And you thought, this is a fairly unpresupposing sort of a place. Very modest sort of a place. You looked around, perhaps you thought, oh, where's all the lovely pretty stained glass windows? They haven't got them here. 
Or perhaps a lovely little big golden candlestick or a big golden cross or something rather. Or Jesus hanging on a cross in the corner somewhere. And you've been disappointed. I'm sorry you're disappointed. I'm sorry that perhaps you looked at the front and you thought, well the church that I usually go to has this really handsome minister. Really good looking fellow. You really struck out, didn't you? Has a really handsome looking fellow and he, he speaks so lovely and his, his voice is mellifluous and he could be in a choir. And he studied for seven years at university and he's all, you should hear him spout the Greek and the Hebrew and the ecclesiastical stuff that comes out of his mouth. And you're disappointed. And you come along here and think, this is just a bunch of normal Aussies. Just regular people. Nothing fancy at all. But I tell you what, you can actually find God here. And all the people said. And that's the difference. You can have a miracle here. You can experience the power of God here today. Don't go home without it. I mean, you heard a couple of testimonies today. I'm surprised you didn't rush out to ring up Channel 9. Well, a lady claims that she prayed for another woman who had breast cancer. No, it wasn't breast cancer, was it? Lung cancer. And the doctor said, we're terribly sorry, you got lung cancer's back. And uh, she prayed for him. Two weeks later, it was gone. How come you didn't rush out to Channel 9? Channel 7? Uh, well, maybe one of the other testimonies here today, and I, I, you probably think he's being a bit facetious. I am a little bit, because it is surprising to me that people think that they need to find God in some elegant, fancy place, when quite often you go to elegant, fancy places and God isn't there. Quite often God, like this story here, is in a very plain sort of a place, a very simple sort of a place. Uh, with, with <laughs> I nearly said simple people. I, I, I said to a lady recently, look, we're just simple Christians. And she said, yes, I'll say you are. <laughs> um, yes, I told you that before, but it, it just sticks in my brain. We're just down-to-earth people. That's all we are, just regular people. And a little like our friend uh, Jacob here, he got the shock of his life when he realised what he could find in this down-to-earth place. Uh, over to the New Testament just for a moment, we'll go back here. Keep your finger in Genesis and we'll go over to 1 Corinthians just for a moment. Chapter 1. A reminder, of course, your, your phone or iPad or whatever device you're using must be switched to aeroplane mode so that you're not distracted. Aeroplane mode. Otherwise, I'll be trying to get a message through to you and God will be trying to get a message to you that you'll be reading about your best friend from high school's picnic today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse... Uh, I'm trying to keep this a little short, but verse 26 perhaps. Uh, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Uh, and Paul is pointing out here, he says, look, do you look around your, the audience at your local church? And he said, do you see it filled with me- members of parliament, high court judges, perhaps medical specialists, professor of biology or something or other? Well, there's a smattering of people who, who are pretty smart in this fellowship, all the people said. That was a trick question. Um, there are a smattering of people. I mean, there's the odd 
you know, PhD of something or other in this church, that's fine. Uh, but, but you don't find a lot of people who are, you know, uh, admired in society, you know, barons of industry and so on. Just, it's just kind of regular people, it's normal people. And Paul says that's what the church is made of, just normal kind of people. There's not a whole lot of fancy people there. He says in verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. And uh, Paul points out, he says, look, funnily enough, the people that get saved are often base, base in the sense of, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, very, well, from the lower socioeconomic, you know, groups in society. Perhaps they're disadvantaged people. Perhaps they're people with, uh, you know, perhaps mental issues or something or other. Perhaps they're people who, with, with poor educations and what have you, maybe they're struggling in life. Uh, the base in society. God chooses the base. God chooses the despised. Perhaps you look around society and you perhaps look and think to yourself, oh, there's, there's a couple of alcoholics in that corner or that bloke's an ice addict or something or other. God chooses those people and saves them. My father was an alcoholic. God chose him and changed him. And uh, Paul is saying here, that's right, uh, because the problem is people who are in some way, uh, you know, respected in society and think of themselves a little bit special in society, they don't want to get saved. They're looking for human admiration. And Paul says here, but the people at the other end of the spectrum, no one's going to admire them. And so that's why God saves them. They can humble themselves. He goes on and he says in verse 28, And the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, uh, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The reason so that nobody can ever say that they're a bit of a big shot in God's eyes. Nobody can do that. Everybody uh, comes to the point where the only way they get saved is by humbling themselves. Sometimes even as Christians, you may be saved 10 years or 30 years or something or other, as Christians we too have to remember we must never be a respecter of persons. God is not a respecter of persons, neither should we be. Uh, The Apostle uh, James points out Sometimes at your meeting, perhaps you have a very a poor sort of character come along, or a you know a bit of an odd bod come along, and you you say sit over here in the corner and uh, you know sit here and uh, be my footstool sort of thing. And he says you've got someone in rich clothes come along. And he says, well, take this lovely chair here. He says never be like that. He says God's no respecter of persons, and neither should we be. You know when you go preaching on the street, you preach to everybody, not just the ones that look like they're uh, okay to get saved. In uh, back again, if you will, just for a moment to the book of Genesis. I did say keep your finger there, didn't I? Genesis chapter 28 again. And verse uh, 17. And he was afraid. Jacob, it says, was afraid. And he said, how dreadful is this place? Uh, how, how awe-inspiring, how remarkable is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And I really love that expression. Uh, he's reminding us here that when you find that special place to go to find God, he says it's, it's like finding the house of God. And uh, we're like, you know, in many respects, like a family. 
and all the people said. And uh, in that sense, once you get baptised and filled with the Spirit, it's like you've entered the house of God. This is the house of God. Uh, even though perhaps you uh, didn't think much of it when you first drove into the car park or when you first walked into the auditorium. But it actually is the house of God. The reason is because the people here are filled with God's Holy Spirit, which I'll explain in just a moment or so. But the next bit I love too, it says, and this is the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. And uh, what a great expression. sort of reminds me uh, of, um, I remember that movie many, many years ago, and I don't quote many movies because I probably don't see enough, but um, Stargate, you remember that movie, Stargate, where one of the explorers, I think it was, discovered, you know, like this wormhole thing that goes through space. Now that, I don't know, that, 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 that will never happen to my knowledge, but, but what we have got here is, we've got the gate of heaven, right here. There is an opportunity to go through and be with God, to find God. You may not have realised it when you walked in the door. You may have thought to yourself, oh, it's an, perhaps you thought to yourself, it's a lovely group of people. This is a nice group of church people. Oh, they sing nice, don't they? Or not. Um, perhaps you thought that. Perhaps you thought, oh, they're very friendly here, aren't they? Not realising. You've actually walked into the gate of heaven. In fact, you've walked into the vestibule of the gate of heaven. The actual gate of heaven is just behind the curtains here. What is it? You're asking yourself. It's a baptism tank. And Pastor Michael is the doorkeeper of the gate of heaven out the back there. He's the one that when you get out the back there, he'll say, I'll show you how to open the gate. And he puts you in the water, and you're sitting there in your bathers, and if you're a lady, you get a gown thing over the top. And uh, I don't what the blokes didn't get down. But anyway, um, you sit there in the gown and the bathers, and the Pastor Michael will say a few words from the Bible over the top of you, and he'll get you to repeat a few words, or perhaps he'll ask you to say yes to a couple of questions from the Bible. And then what he does is he puts you under the water and he brings you up. And as he begins to pray with you, you receive the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues, and you've just gone through the gate of heaven. And all the people say, it's remarkable. And you come into this auditorium not knowing any, not knowing a lot about God or the Bible or whatever it may be, and you walk out and you just have a smile from ear to ear. You, I mean, I remember my experience so clearly many, many years ago. I remember I got baptized, and after I was baptized, I was praying and praying, and I received the Holy Spirit. I burst out speaking in tongues, and I remember my my face was just about frozen. It was like kind of not not shock exactly. It was delight, but it was like that. Everywhere I, I walked back down from the prayer room, and I just remember walking in amongst these people thinking, you know, and you know, and you know, and you know, you all know what I just found out. You all knew before I came here, but you didn't tell me. You didn't, you didn't explain to me what it's like to get the Holy Spirit. Well, you probably did explain it, but I didn't grasp it. I didn't understand it. As Jesus says, you can't see it until after you've experienced it. And so uh, all of a sudden I knew. And uh, all of a sudden I'd entered the gate of heaven. Praise the Lord. Let's go to another verse or two. John chapter 10. How are we going to start? Yes, we need to get in. John chapter 10. So I guess we're talking a little bit this morning about the gate of heaven. 
and uh, the shock that it's, it's not going to necessarily be where you expect it to be. John chapter 10. And I'm guessing it wouldn't surprise you that uh, Jesus himself is described as this door or this gate. In John chapter 10, uh, in verse 1, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that enters in uh, enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And uh, this is Jesus here describing the uh, uh, kingdom of God and how to get in and so forth. And he describes all sorts of uh, arrangements whereby people attempt to steal into the kingdom of God, you know, creep in, you know, uh, uh, burglar, burglarize, as it were, the kingdom of God. And he says they're villains and scoundrels and scallywags. They're looking for a different way. But Jesus goes on to clarify for us, and I'm just going to skip a few verses just for time. Verse 7. And then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He says, I'm the door. You've got to go through me. You can't go through another way. I am the door. And uh, he continues on, All that ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the uh, sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. And uh, Jesus clarifies for us here. He says, look, he says, it's actually me that's going to get you through into the kingdom of God. I'm the gateway. Uh, and all that came before me, and there's plenty of religious people, of course, we, we know through history there's people who started religions, there's uh, various uh, prophets and characters right through history, and uh, we're surrounded by other strange religions, aren't we, all over the place. Uh, Mr. Buddha and Mr. Muhammad and uh, so on and so on and so on. Uh, and, and even in so-called Christian circles, there are all sorts of different supposed ways to get in. And Jesus makes it clear, he says, the only way in is through me. It's not through some other method. It's not a matter of religion. It's not a matter of... Uh, <coughs> it's not a matter of perhaps going to Bible class and Bible study and all that sort of thing. You've actually got to get in through me. Over to the book of Ephesians, just for a moment. Paul the Apostle perhaps clarifies that a little better for us because many people might sit there and say, well, okay, Jesus Christ, I'm happy with that, but how do I get in through Jesus? Jesus explained it and also the apostles clarified it for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And uh, Paul points out the Ephesian church he says you've been reunited with God you've been brought back together again. And he says it's because Jesus gave his life for us and shed his blood for us uh, that we're able to access this but then he makes a very bold statement a little further down in the same little passage here, down in verse uh, 18. For through him, that's through Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. To have access means that you've got the ability to enter something. You've got the ability to go through. You know, it's like uh, you, you go to your, you, you know, your, 
your um, your ATM sometimes and you're, you're trying to remember your password. I mean, I've got too many passwords I've discovered. You try to remember your password, you go, and it says, access denied. Can't get in. Uh, or maybe some other arrangement. Maybe you've got it work, some sort of a you know, coding system to get into different areas and so forth. And if you don't have the right uh, information or the right uh, tools, it'll be access denied. And here he's reminding us, he says, but Jesus died for us. He gave his life for us. And he's now, he confirms that to us and grants us access by the Spirit. For through him, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. And uh, for many people, of course, the idea of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and, and so on is a very vague sort of a uh, terminology and uh, they wonder what on earth that could mean and uh, does it really have a concrete meaning in the Bible? In fact, it has a very concrete meaning. And I'll just clarify that for you. For example, back in chapter 1, verse 13, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He says, uh, after you believe the story of the gospel message, he says, you were sealed with the Spirit. So the Spirit seals us, we discovered here, and grants us access to the Father. And uh, the good thing about the story of the Ephesians is we actually know exactly what happened when they first received the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Ephesians, of course, the place is Ephesus, over to the book of Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And that's the same as the Ephesians. And finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believe? And they said to him, We've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, Unto what then were you baptised? And they said, under John's baptism. And then said Paul, that John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And uh, all of a sudden we've got such a very clear illustration of what the Bible refers to when it talks about having access by the Spirit to the Father. Believing the Gospel and after that receiving the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, same thing. And uh, in this case here you can see very clearly what happens of course is they speak in other tongues. Now if you have access to something, something happens, doesn't it? If you have access to, years and years ago, at one stage, the old company I used to work for, they made me put me in charge of the drinks cabinet at work because I didn't drink. <laughs> they thought it was hilarious. So they put me in charge of the drinks cabinet. And so you've got access to it. You can open it, you can lock it, you can shut it, you can, you know, whatever you have to do with it and so on. Maybe uh, where you are, you have access to certain parts of the building or perhaps certain parts of the, uh, the structure, you know, quite often in life, of course. You've got your keys in your pocket. I've got two keys in my key ring there. I'm not even sure what they do. Uh, load if I remember. 
There's a problem with access, isn't it? So that one there, I do know. That's my car. Doesn't work, apparently this far away. But the point, of course, is that it grants you the ability to do something. Something happens. If you, in my case, click the button for my car, then the car goes beep, beep, or the lights light up, and the door opens and unlocks. And you can get in. And uh, you press the next button and you can start the car. You can drive off. Something practical happens. Uh, just a simple thing like, uh, you know, on the back of my gate at home, I've got a little three-number digit code thing on the little uh, combination lock. And if you uh, put the right numbers in, turn it around, open up, you can go through the gate. You can enter the backyard. You can see my dog just before she bites you on the leg. You have access. All I've got to do is give you three numbers and you can walk in my backyard anytime you want. My front door has one of those little uh, pin code things. And uh, quite often my grandchildren who uh, watch their parents, everybody's got the code to my house, I've discovered. But uh, quite often, including endless visitors, uh, but quite often my grandchildren walk up to the front door, they know they've got to do a little number thing. And so all the grandchildren walk up, but they don't realise it's in sequence. And so let's go, <laughs> and of course it doesn't open. They do it three times, and then I can't open it. Uh, but of course the the principle is you will always be able to do something if you've got access to something. You can walk in the house. You can open the safe. You can perhaps drive the car. There's a thousand different things. And what Paul is saying here, he says, have you got the Holy Spirit? Have you got access yet? And these particular Ephesians didn't. And he said, oh, we'll have to baptise you again. So he baptises them again down the local river, presumably there, and after praying with them, it says they received the Holy Ghost and they spoke in tongues. When I click my car, and I tried to demonstrate it, but it didn't work, uh, it makes a noise. The horn goes to an- announce to everybody that somebody has accessed the vehicle or locked the vehicle. And it's the same with this. You get the Holy Spirit, it's suddenly you speak in other tongues because God is announcing to everybody something remarkable has just happened. What's on the other side of that door? Well, on the other side of that door, the Bible says, there's the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Well, fruit, singular, by the way. There's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, faith, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things are on the other side of that doorway. There's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, miracles, healings, uh, uh, signs and wonders are all on the other side. There's a wonderful new life on the other side. The Bible talks about walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. There's a completely new way of praying on the other side. The Bible, Jesus said, uh, God is a Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. Elsewhere, Paul talked about how when we speak in tongues, it's the Spirit praying. We have this wonderful ability to pray, which is so different to what we had before. All of a sudden, we've got full access, and all the people say, and uh, we've discovered the gate of heaven. Over to another passage, if you will. Uh, just actually, just quickly, back to Genesis chapter twenty-eight. And I forgot to put my marker in there. Genesis twenty-eight. There's lots and lots of little wonderful uh, 
uh, snippets in this passage that I enjoy, but we'll just pick out one or two perhaps. Genesis 28, uh, verse 12. And uh, he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. The angels of God ascending and descending on it. And uh, it does sound a little um, uh, rustic, but God gave him a ladder in the story. You think there'd be an escalator, don't you? Or perhaps uh, some other method of transport. But we get the point. Uh, there was a bridge between heaven and earth. That's the point. And uh, in this day also, there's a bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost experience. And uh, angels ascending and descending. Go to John 1, verse 45. John 1, verse 45. This is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry here. And in verse 45 it says, Philip finds Nathanael and says to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip says to him, Come and see. Uh, and so when Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And Nathanael says to him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and says to him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and told him, Because I said this to thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And uh, Jesus is referring, of course, to the fact that the bridge between earth and heaven is open and miracles will take place. Miracles will follow the Gospel message. Angels ascending and descending implies that God is going to do things for people. Miraculous things, impossible things. Back in the Old Testament there it describes how when Moses did the ten wonders in Egypt and then he opened the Red Sea, he describes the angel which went with thee. Uh, we uh, uh, read other similar instances of people like Gideon and so forth. An angel appears uh, from heaven and it's to announce that there's a miracle going to take place. And right through the Old Testament that principle carries on. There's not a whole lot of angels particularly appear physically in the story of Jesus Christ himself, but the, the principle is there that there will be miraculous signs that follow this message. And we know, of course, straight away from John chapter 2 onwards there, he does his first miracle in Cana of Galilee, he turns the water into wine, and we know that he heals people by the hundreds, perhaps by the thousands, uh, from one end of uh, Israel to the other. We know that at one stage he was so famous that people used to clog his doorway when he woke up in the morning. Thousands of people would have gathered from all over the local region. On other occasions it says that he couldn't speak to them all so he'd stand in a boat just offshore while they all stood on the shore or sat on the beach. On other occasions he sat on the top of a little hill while they just uh, gathered around him down the hillside and so on and so on. So great were the number of miracles which he did. Elsewhere the Bible says, when the Son of Man come, will he do more miracles than these? Uh, else it talks about how he was attested to by signs, miracles and wonders. 
And uh, the same is true too when you receive the Holy Spirit. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it opens the door to the miraculous power of God. I put on the newsflash this month, but make sure you get your miracle in 2018. You're waiting for a miracle or two. Get it. Get stuck in. The Bible says, ask and receive that your joy may be full. The Bible teaches us that all things are possible to him that believes. It says, is anything too hard for God? Not at all. Uh, The Bible talks about being healed, being blessed, being lifted up, being uh, uh, given great peace and great joy beyond what you've ever experienced before. Get your miracle in 2018. In fact, get a bucket full of them and all the people say. Don't, don't leave it for someone else. Don't sit there thinking to yourself, oh, that's nice. He had a nice miracle. She had a nice miracle. Get yours. Get stuck in. The Bible teaches us that uh, if you will seek me with all your heart, I will be found of you as you seek the Lord with all your heart. God makes things happen. Uh, we read in the book of James, it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It makes powerful things happen another translation says. So you have arrived in the place where there are angels ascending and descending, as it were, to heaven. And uh, certainly uh, the story in Genesis uh, reminds us of that here. Over to, uh, again, if you will, well, just before we go there, uh, verse, um, I do like that bit in verse, uh, where was it, verse 50? No? 45. 46. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? When he was told that Jesus came from Nazareth, uh, Philip was astonished. He said, this can't be right. This guy can't be from God. This guy cannot possibly be a, uh, a learned, spiritual, holy man of God. Nazareth was like the, 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 the pit of Israel. It was just such a rubbish area in Israel. Uh, it was a very country sort of an area. I've pointed this out to you before. Uh, they spoke with a very strong accent, a country accent, the people that came from Nazareth. We know that from the historical records as well as the Bible. And uh, Philip just said, this can't be right. I just can't get my head around this. And it's a bit like, I always hesitate to pick a place in WA, but I'll pick an interstate place instead. It's like saying, you know, Jesus Christ, yeah, we just said, he's from Hobart, Tasmania. Or something or other. I don't think Mark's here today, is he? No. He's safe. He's from Hobart, Tasmania. And you think, Hobart, can anything good come out of Tasmania? You're joking. Tasmania. And that's what they're saying. Unexpected. Something which was completely uh, different to what they presume and their prejudiced ideas of what a prophet should be like. And it's the same today. You and I perhaps testify to our friends and our relatives. We tell our mum about the Lord or our brother about the Lord. Maybe our work colleagues about the Lord. And they look at us as if to say, you're joking, you're not a, a, a Holy Ghost kind of Christian, are you? You're not one of those born-agains, are you? They say, well, actually, I am a Christian. Yes, I am born again. I have to be filled with the Spirit. I do speak in tongues. They can't believe it. Because to you, or rather to them, you're not that special. But actually, that's what happened to Jesus Christ. That's what happened to the Son of God. So, if it happens to you, don't think it's unusual. It's exactly the same. Nothing's changed. Over to, uh, uh, back to the book of uh, Genesis again. We'll need to finish up soon, but uh, Genesis 28. Just one or two more verses. And uh, verse 13. Behold, the Lord 
God stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. Um, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. And to thee and in, uh, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will help thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again unto this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And I do love that. He says, he says, having made this declaration, having opened up this line of communication, having shown you where the gate of heaven is, he says, I'm actually never going to leave you. I'm never going to abandon you ever again. Go to John, if you will, chapter 14. We might try and make this our last point today. John 14. There's lots and lots of other little, as I say, gems in that passage you can have a look at later. But we might leave on this thought here. John chapter 14. In this, Jesus is discussing here the fact that he's planning to send the Holy Spirit. Uh, for example, reading verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever even the spirit of truth. So the discussion here is about receiving the Holy Spirit and I love the way he just says here, when I send the company, he says, he's going to abide with you forever. Now just take that at face value just for a moment. The Holy Spirit will never, ever depart from you. I got the Holy Spirit on the 10th of November 1968 and so far he has never departed from me. And according to what Jesus says, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit still in me, uh, you know, the, some other date in the future, perhaps the year 2020 or the year 2300 or the year 5600 or the year 1 billion years in the future or 20 trillion years in the future. I'm still going to have the Holy Spirit with me. He will, what's the wording exactly there, that he may abide with you forever. We read in the book of Hebrews, we won't look it up, it says... I will never leave thee. Another translation says, I will never abandon you. Sometimes in life we go through situations. Maybe we lose our job. Maybe we get bad news of the doctor. Maybe some other tragedy strikes us. And life is full of ups and downs. We know that. That's the way life is. And sometimes we feel like, Oh God, you've abandoned me. I'm on my own now. You know, uh, why am I being sacked? Or why did the boss, you know, uh, you know whatever it is, and uh, the Lord's saying, actually, I haven't abandoned you. I never abandoned you. I never will abandon you because you've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of God. You've got God living inside you. You've discovered the gate of heaven. And he says, the wonderful result of that is that I will never leave you. There's a little verse at the end of Matthew I'm going to read. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We'll make this our very final verse. And if we've been shown the gate of heaven, then of course it's our job to pass it on to others, to show them. And they're not believers, that's up to them. But you've got to try, you've got to tell them. The Bible says if, uh, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's great news. Sometimes we tell mum about the Lord a thousand times, but we forgot to tell the neighbour once. In Matthew 28, we read in verse 19, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And I do love that. He says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the world. The end of this world. According to the scripture, it's got a long, 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 long time to go yet. So he's going to be with us. He won't leave us. We're in a very, very privileged position. And all the people say. 